Good morning, friends. How are you? It's good to see your faces this morning. It is Memorial Day weekend, and uh, we are remembering this weekend those who have fallen in combat. Uh, Travis Hearn, thank you for leading that moment during worship. That meant a lot to us. We appreciate you. Just by a show of hands one more time, I know we did it during worship, but how many of you have lost friends or family in combat? Just so that we can see you one more time. My goodness, military town, it's all over the place in here. And um, it's just got me thinking about grief. It's got us thinking about grief and where God is in grief. And of course, this weekend is not just Memorial Day weekend, but in the church calendar, uh, this weekend is also Trinity Sunday. And so we go through this whole process in the church calendar every year. It begins with Advent, Israel expecting and hoping for the Messiah. And then we come into the life of Jesus, incarnation, Christmas Eve, right? Epiphany, the revelation of Jesus in the world. Lent, his long march to suffering and death. Easter, his triumphant resurrection. And then Pentecost, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. What happens through that whole process of the church calendar is that God is revealed to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So right after Pentecost and the Sunday following that is Trinity Sunday that we remember that the one in whom we live and move and have our being is a communion of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And more than that, that our whole history, that includes the grief of war, but also the many griefs that are wrought in our lives by sin, that that, I just, I'm going to say this as clearly as I can, that that whole history is not separate from the reality of God, but that the loving arms of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit actually gather up our whole painful history into the kingdom of God. And so this morning, I just want to ask the question and meditate for a few moments on the question of where God is in our grief. How do we discern the hand of God in our places of sadness, our places of pain, are places where it seems like life has broken down and maybe it doesn't feel like they will ever be put back together again. And I think that the scripture has much to say about that. And I think that it has much encouragement for those of us that are not just suffering the loss of those who have fallen in combat, but all of us in this room who have suffered any kind of loss. Because the truth is that if you live on this side of eternity for long enough, you will suffer loss. And you need wisdom for where God is in the middle of that. And so, Lord, we lift up our hearts to you right here and right now. And we thank you that you are our comforter in sorrow, that you are the God who is with us. As you said to Moses, reiterated by Jesus, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. The writer of Hebrews Hebrews adds, and so we say with confidence, the Lord is with me. He is my helper What can human beings do to me? And so, Lord, we're asking that this morning you would help us remember that the things that are most fundamentally true about us cannot be touched by any of the ebb and flow of history, by the vicissitudes of history. None of it can be, but we are tucked away in you. Paul says so beautifully that we have died and our lives are hidden with Christ in God. And so we pray that you would help us remember how true it is that everything we've experienced It has its place in you. So, this morning we're asking that as we open the scriptures that you would give us wisdom and insight 
Help us see the things that we have not seen before so that we can understand our lives in the kingdom of God in a way that we have not before. Grant that we're asking. We say, may the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. It's Psalm 137 is my text this morning. Listen to the words of the psalmist. By the rivers of Babylon, he says, we sat and we wept when we remembered Zion. For there on the poplars we hung our harps. There our captors asked us for songs. And our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land. You ever felt like that? How can I sing the songs of the Lord given this moment that I'm in? How can I sing the songs of the Lord given what has happened to me? That's the question that the psalmist asks. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I don't remember you. If I don't consider Jerusalem my highest joy, remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Brothers and sisters, even this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said. You might remember, if you remember your history, we covered it a little bit when we went through the Minor Prophets several months back. 586 B.C., the national life of Israel was shattered beyond recognition. After the kingdom had been divided into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, the Assyrian army in 722 B.C. conquered the northern kingdom. And then in 586 B.C., the Babylonian army swept into the southern kingdom of Judah and ripped their lives to pieces. Everything they loved, everything they held dear, everything that was most personal to them as God's people, it was taken away from them. The wall was burned with fire, the temple was reduced to rubble, everything that they loved was shattered. And not only that, but in 586 BC, the Babylonian army began conducting a series of deportations. It took a number of God's people, the majority of them, depending on which historian you talk to, and carried them off into exile to Babylon. Do you know how far away Babylon is from Jerusalem? 1,700 miles. We're talking about before cars and before airplanes. You would have had to make this trip on foot. And so here are the people of God not just standing amid the rubble of their lives, but they're actually 1,700 miles away from the rubble remembering what it was like in the happy days of their life in Jerusalem. And so, Jerusalem. And so they're with almost no hope of ever going back, by the way. And so there they are, sitting by the rivers of Babylon, hanging up their harps. Like, we ain't never going to sing again. The songs of Zion, all of our joy, all of our hope, all of our happiness that we gave expression to through these harps, we're hanging them on the poplars. And there... By the rivers of Babylon, the Babylonian army demands of them songs of joy. Hey, sing us one of those songs that we heard you guys sing back in Zion because we've heard about your music. You got good music back there. And they go, are you kidding? 
How are we going to sing the songs of Zion while we're in a foreign land? But those songs spoke to us about God's providence. Those songs spoke to us about God's triumph. Those songs spoke to us about God's victory. Those songs spoke to us about God's promise never to leave us or to forsake us. And now we're here and it seems as though all of those promises have been reduced to rubble just like our lives were reduced. So so how are we going to, to sing those songs while in this foreign land? And you feel the grief of the psalmist. You feel the pain of the psalmist as they're wrestling with this loss. And that grief and that pain and that loss doesn't just stop at sadness in the psalm, does it? But it actually bubbles up and it becomes something more than that. Their grief and their pain and their loss, it actually bubbles up into a kind of spirit of vengeance against their enemies. Remember, O God, the psalmist says, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Do you know who the Edomites are? They're descendants of Jacob's brother Esau. It was our brothers and our sisters, those related to us by blood, when our lives were being ripped to smithereens by the Babylonian army, the Edomites just stood there and they watched. And not only did they watch, but they cheered on the Babylonian army as everything that we held dear was being reduced to ash. They cheered them on, tear it down to its foundations, the Edomites said, rip it to pieces. And so the anger and the grief of the psalmist boils up and says, Lord, you remember what the Edomites did on the day that we fell. And also, daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you for what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants just like you seized ours and dashes them against the... It is this explosion of sadness, an explosion of anger, an explosion of a... Of a of a spirit of retribution. It's an explosion of grief. And it's in the canon for a reason. See, too often in our faith, I think what we want to do is we want to reduce faith to like the nice stuff and the happy stuff and the sanitized stuff. And the Bible persistently reminds us that the stuff that's not happy and not put together and not sanitized, that too belongs in the text of Scripture because that too is part of the human experience. Psalm 137 reminds us that when we are aggrieved, the gracious gift of God, brothers and sisters, is not to dismiss our grief. It's not to poo-poo our grief or to go, hey, could you just get over that now so that we can get back to the good stuff? But when we are aggrieved, the gracious gift of our God is to draw our grief out into the open to bless it, and then also to promise to be with us in it. Do you believe that about our God? You guys, from cover to cover in the scriptures, it's true. God is the one who draws our grief out into the open. He welcomes it, blesses it, and then promises to be with us in it. And when we are in a space of grief, You probably know this if you've been through it. You feel like a hot mess, don't you? Just like the psalmist. All over the map. Sadness, anger, grief, retribution, sometimes moments of joy. You're just, when you're not grieving, you just don't feel like yourself. And I think about the psalmist earlier in Psalm 73, wrestling with how chaotic life under the sun is. 
And the psalmist says in Psalm 73, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, he says, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. And yet I am always, I'm always with you. Even when our life is so messy and even when we can't get a handle on our emotions, the psalmist says, yet I'm always with you, but you hold me by my right hand and you guide me with your counsel. And afterward, what happens? You're taking me into glory. And so whom have I in heaven? The psalmist says, but you in earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. In fact, they will fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Guys, when you're grieved, when your heart is embittered, when it's all messy inside of you, God isn't pushing you to the fringes. But what God is doing is he's holding you by your right hand. And he's guiding you with his counsel. And afterward, he'll take you into glory. And whom have you in heaven but God? And earth has nothing that you could ever desire besides him. And your flesh and your heart They will fail. And in your grief, you experience it. That you can't hold yourself together. But God can and does. And he takes all that sadness. And he takes the broken pieces of your life. And he goes, give me those. I know exactly what to do with them. I'll put them back together. Whom have I in heaven but you? Earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I've experienced it over and over and over again in my life. I can remember six or seven years ago, Mandy and I had walked through a season that just left me feeling like I was gutted, like I'd been cut open. Where so many of the things that I had held dear, just they fell apart. And I remember walking for six to nine months through a space of grieving and trying to come to grips with my own spirit and where I was, my life, where's it all going now? And I just couldn't wrap my mind around it, couldn't wrap my heart around it. And I remember being in London with a few friends from our church that was pastoring in Denver at the time. We were at Holy Trinity Brompton Church, beautiful church with a deep and rich history. And we were there learning about Alpha, you know, how do we help win people to Jesus and attended a series of meetings, and one of those meetings was a prayer meeting that was led by one of the guys who was kind of a founder of the whole movement over there, an old man of the faith by the name of Sandy Miller. And Sandy came in, and Sandy started talking to us, not about Alpha and not about evangelism, but he began to talk to us about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he taught, he opened up space for us, and then he said, you know what I'd like to do is something maybe that some of you are unaccustomed to, but I want to invite you just to stand to your feet, he said. And we're going to welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit. And then I want you to invite you just to sing in the Spirit. And we did. It was slow at first. A few voices began to sing out, some in English, some in tongues. But there was this beautiful moment that happened where the line between English and tongues and whatever other languages people were singing, that line got really blurry. And all of a sudden, all of these little songs that people were singing from around the congregation they merged together and they became one song, one voice. It was so beautiful. And I remember standing in that space and the room tilted in such a beautiful way. And I remember thinking, I, I have not been in a space like this where the song of heaven was so evident. In a very, and then something happened as the Spirit rested upon me. All of a sudden, 
All that grief that I thought I was done grieving, it started rushing to the surface again. The Lord beginning to pull out of me things that I had not grieved in that six to nine month process before. And I remember just falling to the ground and crying my eyes out. And I laid on the floor of that church for the better part of an hour. And every time I tried to pull myself back together again to get on with whatever was happening, I couldn't do it. Just felt the Lord drawing me back into that place. It was like, you have more grieving to do than you've done over this thing. For an hour, I'm crying, snot running from my nose. It was just a hot mess. And I remember my good friend Dave, after about an hour of that, he came over and he put his hand on my shoulder. He goes, are you okay? But no, I'm not okay. <laughs> I said, do you want to talk about it? And I said, I can't talk about it. And I remember actually grabbing my backpack. I just could not be in that place anymore. I grabbed my backpack and I ran out in the streets of London and I found a quiet pub somewhere and I sat down in that pub and just buried my head in my hands and pulled out my journal and I started pouring out all of my grief to the Lord. And I'm telling you, it was one of the most painful things I have ever done in my entire life. And I don't know that I've ever felt so loved by God in my entire life. That somehow that brokenness, that pocket of pain that the Lord opened up, also opened up opportunity for the grace and the goodness and the mercy and the love of God to come rushing in. There's something about it, guys, that when we let the Lord love us in those places of brokenness and those places of, places of pain, we experience God in a way that's unusual. Uh, Paul writes it so beautifully in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Paul describes the Father as the Comforter. And then he describes the Son as the Comforter. And elsewhere in the Scripture, the Holy Spirit is described as... It seems as though our God is invested in the process of comforting broken humanity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, friends, is the infinite space of comfort in which we are invited to locate our lives. God isn't pushing your grief away. God is welcoming your grief. Give me your most painful place, he says. Give me your most broken place. Give me your most heart broken place. Give me that place that seems most hopeless in you, that place that seems most empty in you, that place where you wonder, where you cry and you cry and you cry and you wonder if you're ever going to stop crying. Give me that. I want that. I want that. Jesus, the tradition, the tradition has always said he's the man of sorrows. He's walked this with us, guys. He's familiar with our sufferings. And he's carrying them to the end of time. I'm here to tell you this morning that God is welcoming your pain into his presence. Do you believe that? 
That's never been a question with our God. Do you know what the real question has always been? Not whether God will welcome your grief. The real question is whether you will welcome your own grief. Will you welcome your own grief? And we love to quote, we know the scriptures that talk about the comfort of God in our sorrows. Scriptures like Matthew 5, 4, the great beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Well, you know what we do? We go, ooh, there's comfort for us. And so we run to the comfort. Right, but you know what the problem is? You haven't done the mourning yet. (laughs) And so what we do then is we grab a promise like that. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And we go, oh, there's comfort for us. And so we rush to the comfort, and we don't actually experience comfort. We still feel empty inside. We still feel pained inside. We still feel grief inside. And we think that the promise is empty. But the promise isn't empty. The problem is you haven't engaged the process that the promise lays out for you. It's not that God is unfaithful to comfort those who are grieving. It's that most of us are deeply uncomfortable with doing the grieving itself. And so we never can actually get to the promise because we haven't engaged the process. George MacDonald, one of my favorite writers, said it so beautifully. He said, as in all the sweetest music, a tinge of sadness was in every note. Nor do we know how much of the pleasures even of life we owe to the intermingled sorrows. Joy cannot unfold the deepest truths, although the deepest truth must be deepest joy. I'm here to tell you this morning, and I'm speaking from deep experience on this point, that one of the reasons that you have nothing to fear in your grief is that grief is actually a doorway by which we come to a deeper appreciation of God, a deeper knowledge of ourselves, and a deeper understanding of the mystery of what it means to be human. There's nothing to fear because God is opening up the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God to us in our grief. And there are some things, there are some truths, I don't know why this is the case and I don't understand why God has set it up this way, But there are some things that we can never know about ourselves or about God unless we walk through the doorways that grief is opening up for us. So that if we refuse to walk through those doorways, you know what happens to us? We remain infantile in our faith. You have to walk through the door. And any of you that have ever walked through a process of loss, you know it. You know that if you try to circumvent it or if you try to get around it or to try to microwave your way through the process, It doesn't work, does it? But the only way to get to where God wants you to go is to actually go through the doorway. And I think about the times in my life when I have grieved. I think about the process of us coming from Denver to Colorado Springs. Me letting go of one of the things that was most personal and deepest to me, the work that we did at our church. And I loved that work. And I loved who I got to be there. And I thought that I would do it for the rest of my life. I remember when we moved to Denver back in 2009, I said to the Lord, I'm doing this for 30 years. God, I'm going to do this until I'm an old man and then I'm going to die. That's the plan. 
And if they let me, I'll die while I'm preaching, 95 years old, just keel over right in the pulpit, and they'll whisk me out and go on and take communion, and that's the plan. And you come to those moments, crossroads, where plans change, and God does something other than what you thought he was supposed to do with your life, and you don't understand why. And I remember those months, years, that passed after we moved from Denver to Colorado Springs, and I let that thing go. And I remember walking the path behind my house or sitting on my porch in the morning and holding the questions up before God. God, I don't understand. Why would you do it that way? Why would you take our lives in this direction? This wasn't what I signed up for. This wasn't anything that I expected, and it hurts so bad. And I kept trying to snap myself out of it, you know? Come on, man! What's the matter with you? You live in paradise. It's Colorado Springs. This place is nice. And you have a nice job and you're surrounded by nice people and there's cool opportunities in front of you. Come on, man, snap out of it. But do you know the soul has its own choreography and its own timeline? And there's nothing you can do about that. There is nothing you can do about it. We live in this microwave society, you know, on-demand society. We go, okay, well, what do I want to watch now? I want to watch this. I want to watch that. I want to eat this. I want to eat that, you know. We're all like these potentates, you know, sitting in our castles. Bring me more of this. Bring me more of that. And maybe that's one of the gifts that grief gives, gives to us. It knocks that out of our hands. You are not in control of the process. And one of the things I learned through my own process of grief is that I know God in a way that I did not and maybe could not have unless I'd walked through that process. And I also know my own soul in a way that I did not and maybe could not have had I not walked through that process. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the psalmist says, I won't fear because... You're with me. You guys, he's not just with us in the good stuff, but he's with us in the hard stuff. And he's not just with us in the hard stuff to get us through the hard stuff, but he's with us in the hard stuff to give us gifts that we would not have been able to attain unless we had walked through the hard stuff. The knowledge of God and the knowledge of our own souls and the depths of what it means to be human that's a greater gift than any physical gift you could ever hold on to. <laughs> the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves, that's what God is trying to open up to. That's the mystery. And when you live on this side of eternity, this life just is grief. And ebb and flow and change, it's separation and learning to deal with it well is part of how we become more truly human. And one of the things that I learned through that whole process in my own life is that sometimes the way that we think about the relationship between grief and joy is we think that those are separate things. But what I have come to see is that grief and joy are not separate things. But grief and joy are actually two sides of the same coin. Grief and joy are actually what our love looks like in different modes. <laughs> That when we experience consolation and when we have the things that we hope for, that's joy. And when we experience loss and things are taken out of our hands, that's grief. 
but it's still our love. And part of what that means is that if we thwart the process of grieving, do you know what we also thwart? We thwart our joy and we diminish our love. I want to say to you this morning that if we refuse or fail to grieve well, we will die inside and our emotional life will forever be superficial and shallow. If we refuse or fail to grieve well, we will die inside and our emotional life will forever be superficial and shallow. That's one of the problems with happy, clappy Christianity. (laughs) Is that it papers over this process with sham emotions. And then we all go around pretending that everything is okay when it's not okay. And I, from the bottom of my heart, from the most sincere place that I can summon this morning, I want to say to you that, that that whole thing of happy, clappy, sham emotions papering over our grief, it's so unnecessary. Do you know why it's unnecessary? It's unnecessary because God took a body. It's unnecessary because Jesus Christ became the truly human one in our midst. It's unnecessary because if he is the truly human one, then we are never human until we are human the way that he is human. And do you know how Jesus lived his humanity with us? Guys, when he found out that his friend Lazarus was dead, even though he knew that power was in his right hand to raise him from the dead, what did Jesus do? He wept. And when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, facing his demise, what did he do? He wept and he recoiled from death. And when he was on the cross, what did he do? He, like the psalmist, lifted lament up to the Lord. Where have you gone, O God? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God raised Jesus from the dead. And his wounds, the wounds in his hand, in his feet, in his side, those are our wounds too. And he carries them in his body to the end of time. And he has bathed them in the white light of resurrection, which means we have nothing to fear by going there. For God is carrying our sorrows right through to joy. Would you stand with me this morning? Lord, we welcome you. We welcome you. Would you just lift your hands to the Lord as we prepare our hearts here to respond in worship and then to come to the table? I don't know what sorrow, I don't know what ache you're carrying. I've been a pastor now for 15 years or so, uh, so, and now what I know is that what I did not know early on in my ministry is that when we gather in a room like this, it's not just a handful of us that are dealing with sorrows that have been ungrieved. (laughs) It's most of us. And so would you take that place? I don't know what the place is for you. But would you just take that and offer that up to the Lord? So, Lord, we take 
all of these wounds and all of these griefs, all of these sorrows, and we give them to you. Jesus, we remember this morning that the beautiful thing about you is that even in your resurrected flesh, the wounds are still there. They're just not bleeding anymore. You're carried along by resurrection power. And so what we're trusting this morning is that our own wounds, that you would help us bleed those things right into your presence. (laughs) And that you transfigure even the wounds of our lives into resurrection life. So come, we pray. I'm praying over every person in this room that's grieving, every person in this room that's suffered loss and sorrow, every person in this room that has not cried the way that they need to cry, that has not wept the way that they need to. Would you do that, oh God? Would you draw it out of us? And would you remind us of the promise of the gospel that you'll never leave us and you'll never forsake us so that we can say with confidence, God is my helper. I will not be afraid. Grant that we're praying in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Let's respond in worship and then Pastor Colin will lead us to the table.
Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Would you do that right now in your moment where you are standing, beholding the grief that's on your heart? Would you, would you move towards saying thank you to Jesus for that? God, we see you at work. God, we feel the ache in our souls. God, many of us are just still grappling with it. Still facing the questions of why. Feeling forgotten, pushed aside, used up. But God, help us see through moments like these that this is you coming after us. That you care enough to do this for our good. The Lord Jesus, after he 
modeled communion with his disciples, he, he knew he was going to suffer. And he said, Lord, if it would be your will, would you remove this cup from me? The one that we worship knows what it is like to suffer. And he went and he did it for you anyway. As you hold these elements in your hand, would you break, would you just break the bread like this? Jesus' body was broken for you. He modeled suffering. He went through suffering for you. Would you take the bread and eat it? This cup signifies a new relationship, a new covenant. God would do that in the Old Testament. He would make covenants with his people. He did it with Abraham, did it with many then he said when he, at the Last Supper, he said, this is a new covenant in my blood. When you gather together, would you, would you receive this in remembrance of me? Would you take the cup together? And now would you just begin to remind your soul again? We just sang this together. Would you remind yourself of the truth? Satan wants to discourage you, to distract you. To, he wants you to look at your pain and not at the healer. And so today, would you look at the healer and you say, God, we acknowledge that you are strong enough. God, you're even strong enough to, to be bigger than the pain that I feel in my spirit right now. Would you ask him to do that this morning as the band continues to play this over you? Would you remind your soul of the Lord's goodness, that he is holy, that he is faithful, and that he is just, and nothing happens outside of his will that he didn't already want to happen? Would you seek the Lord this morning, church?
you lift your hands like this. And we say, oh God, whom have we in heaven but you? And earth has nothing that we desire besides you. And our flesh and our heart may fail us. Some of us walked in this morning and it just felt like they were failing us. But you, God, you are the strength of our hearts. And you're our portion forever and ever. And so, my brothers and sisters, as you go from this place, may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. I'm going to invite our altar ministry team to come forward this morning. If you'd like just some ministry time, you got some stuff you'd like to process and pray over, we would love to pray over that with you. Remember to sign up for Kids Camp out in Connect Central on the way out if you're new. We've also got a gift for you. You are loved, brothers and sisters. Have a blessed Memorial Day weekend, and we'll see you next weekend.